almost four years ago now. Um, in 2016, it would have been that we started this. And, you know, the idea was book club will just do a book from an Indigenous um, author every month. And when we got to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, as a suggestion, <laughs> it was very clear 94 calls to action are not something that you can just uh, do in one book club. So what we decided was that we would take um, parts of the book club and section that up. So what we do is we just take pieces of it and we will watch like, you know, or we'll, we'll listen to, a, um, sorry, we'll read a book that is related to an Indigenous author and then we'll skip to some of the sections. So that's where we're at today. Um, last book club, we did Canada 150. And of that Canada 150, what really great book. Um, and now we're here today at uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission Calls to Action on the Church Apologies. So for those who um, come to our book club, something that we have always relied on is Beyond 94. And that's a CBC initiative to kind of take stock of the 94 calls to action and determine where we are with each and every one of them. So, um, and I, I wanted to give a little more background about 12 CSI, uh, 12 Community Safety Initiative was where I first launched this. And um, it's true, I used to work there, but then we ran out of funding for my position, but I kept doing the book club because it's important to me as a child of uh, my, my, my auntie, my two uncles, my granny all went to Indian residential school and all of my other um, uncles and aunties and my mom, they went to a Catholic school in the city of, uh, of Yellowknife, probably a town at the time, but whatever. So, and now my husband's watching. Yay! Hi, hubby. <laughs> so, well, at least we have two people. But when this gets recorded, we'll upload it for those who are interested. So, um, so it's really important to me that we always honor those 94 calls to action and... Um, for me too, it's important that we continue the book club regardless of the cor coronavirus, because the coronavirus is something we don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, some of the science, which is, you know, updating minute to minute to minute. So the information that I learned yesterday can be out, um, out of date already by today. And my understanding was that this, if we uh, don't flatten the curve, which is I'm sure a term you've heard, then we, this could peak in May and we don't want that. And I think it was Italy who lost almost 400 people yesterday from this from this virus. So uh, I don't want the book club to stop as a result of the of the virus. And um, if we can keep it going, we will. But if we can't, we can't. I mean, you know, however, you know, privileged North American with lots of access to different uh, mediums um, gives me an excuse to take my pod or my uh, my account on Podbean and try to learn some other mediums to make this work. So my husband says, if you want to call in, you have to use your cell phone on the Podbean app. So if you haven't downloaded the Podbean app, you can't call in. But I really love to hear from you. So if you're listening, please call in. So I'm just going to keep talking because that's what I do. I annoy me. Sorry, folks. So what I um, wanted to talk a little bit about was the 12 CSI history, uh, which I did history of the name. So one of my, um, 
you know, people that I admire that I've always looked up to is former school trustee Anne Craig, a huge volunteer in our area. Her and former alderman, because she was alderman, they were called aldermans at the time, uh, Diane Danielson. They had wanted us to kind of, you know, look at our book club name because it was an initiative that was launched by Carolyn Bennett in 2015 called Hashtag Indigenous Reads. And we wanted to have our own book club, but we wanted to make it, you know, 12 CSI East Calgary. So they had really suggested, you know, I first I think I said chat and chapters and they said, no, let's do chapters and chat. And I was like, okay, that's cool too. So it was kind of a collaboration of how we named it chapters and chat. So if you go on to um, Indigenous Pride with 12 CSI, then you'll be able to see that. And thank you, Larry, for saying that you were able to share it on 12 CSI's page as well. I really appreciate your uh, help with the social media right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm hoping we can get more people. I have at least two people watching, which I think might be you and my husband, but hopefully we'll get more people to be on here as they see me going live. Um, so uh, one of the things that we have, well, I guess we're not in person, but if we did have a group of people, what we do is we, we have guidelines about how we um, share in in our circle we do do a circle we set up chairs so that we're in a circle and uh first of all we introduce ourselves introduce our pronouns i use she and her and we talk about um we'd usually do a check-in see how everybody was doing and i was hoping there would be lots of folks to check in today because uh this coronavirus is um you know changing our life dramatically quickly so i'm sure stress anxiety those things are are high on people's mind so the idea of a smudge would have really helped ease a lot of that and help normalize where we are today um so we usually do a check-in with everybody and see how they're doing and then we just kind of put out our, our rules and our guidelines and and you know passes participation but we participate and we respect people's privacy so that if people are sharing something that's very personal it stays there However, it looks like it's just me. So I'll just, you know, annoy anybody who's listening for now and um, just keep going on with the book club because um, I don't want it to end. And I, I do uh, this for for my own training and my own own self to know where we are with certain things. So thanks again, Larry, for watching. If you can get on Podbean, then you can call in too. So um, so let's start with, with where we're at. Uh, for those who don't know, maybe this is your first time watching on Facebook. This is the final report for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. This is volume one of many. So I actually have copies of the other, like there, it's a series of different books for the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I of course recommend everybody get them. And if you've ever been to some of our previous ones I've talked about or listened to my show, then you know you know, I want every single Canadian to have a copy of those and that the very minimum, the summary report. So the summary report usually helps a lot with uh, giving context as to, you know, where we, where we are and why we're there. So um, the I'll just read the calls to action for the church apologies and reconciliation. There's only four of them, but you know, there's a lot of um, depth to all of them as a result as well. So uh, I can just do the calls to action, but th there's, I actually did want to talk more from just before they do the summary of just that. They actually, 
uh, do a bit of a uh, context as to what it is that why these are the way they are. So I'm trying to not completely, mind you, I guess you can just see it like that and that's fine. Um, okay, there are, oh, there is old and well-accepted adage that states, it takes a village to raise a child. The removal of Aboriginal children from their villages was seen as a necessary step in the achievement of assimilation. However, not only did the government of Canada take children from their homes, but then it also proceeded to destroy the cultural and functional integrity of the communities from which the children came from and wished to return. Christian teachings were a fundamental aspect of residential schools. Aboriginal children were taught to reject the spiritual ways of their parents and ancestors in favor of the religions that predominated, um, that was predominant among settler societies. As their traditional ways of worshiping the creator were disparaged and rejected, so were the children devalued. They were not respected as human beings who were equally loved by the creator, just as they were as First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples. Rather, the Christian teachers saw them as inferior humans in need of being raised up through Christianity and tried to mold them through models of Christianity according to the racist ideals that prevailed at the time. The impact of such treatment was amplified by the federal laws and policies that banned traditional indigenous spiritual practices in the children's home communities of much of the residential school era. Spiritual violence occurs when a person is not permitted to follow her or his preferred spiritual and religious traditions. A different spiritual or religious path or uh, practice is forced upon a person. A person's spiritual or religious traditions, beliefs, or practices are demeaned or belittled. Or a person is made to feel shame for practicing his or her traditional or family beliefs. There is plenty of evidence to support our conclusions that spiritual violence was common around, among Indian residential schools. The effects of these spiritual violence has been profound and did not end with the schools. At the Alberta National Event, survivor Ted Fontaine had spoken for many survivors when he said, I went through sexual abuse. I went through physical abuse, mental abuse, spiritual. And I tell you, the one thing that we suffered from the most is the mental and spiritual abuse that we carried for the rest of our lives. At the Saskatchewan National Event, survivors and elder uh, Noel Starblanket, national chief for the Indian Brotherhood, later the F Assembly of First Nations, talked about the intergenerational spiritual impacts of Indian residential schools. He said, my great-grandfather was the first one to be abused by these churches and by these governments, and they forced his children into Indian residential school and began that legacy. They called him a pagan, a heathen, and that was the late 1800s. So I've been living with that within my family since then. That Christians in Canada, in the name of their religion, inflicted serious harms on Aboriginal children, their families, and communities was the fundamental contradiction to what they purported their core beliefs. For the church to avoid repeating those failures of the past, understanding how and why they perverted uh, Christian doctrine to justify their actions is a critical lesson to be learned from Indian residential school experiences. 
Between 1986 and 1998, all four settlement agreement churches offered apologies or statements of regret in one form or another for their attempts to destroy Indigenous cultures, languages, spirituality, and ways of life, and more specifically, their involvement in Indian residential schools. The United Anglican and Presbyterian churches followed similar pathways. Individuals or committees at the national level of each church became aware that there might be a need to apologize. A decision-making process was established at the highest levels of the church, and the apology was subsequently issued through the moderator or primate who spoke for the whole church. Unlike the three Presbyterian dominations, the Roman Catholic Church in Canada does not have a single spokesperson with authority to represent all of its many uh, dioceses and distinct religious orders. The issuing of apologies or statements of regret was left up to each one of them individually. The result has been a patchwork of apologies or statements of regret that few survivors or church members may even know exist. Roman Catholics in Canada and across the globe took to the Pope as their spiritual and moral leader. Therefore, it has been disappointing to survivors and others that the Pope has not made a clear and um, emphatic public apology in Canada for the abuses perpetrated on Catholic-run residential schools throughout the country. On April 29, 2009, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations, Phil Fontaine, and other four and four other Aboriginal leaders and five leaders of the Roman Catholic community in Canada traveled to Rome for a private audience with Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. No recording of the public meeting was permitted, but the Vatican issued a communication describing what the Pope had said. And this is, quote, given the sufferings of some Indigenous children experienced in the Canadian residential school system, the Holy Father expresses his sorrow at the anguish caused by the deplorable conduct of some of the members of the church, and he offers his sympathy and prayful solidarity. His Holiness emphasizes the acts of abuse cannot be tolerated in society. He prayed that all those affected would experience healing and encourage First Nation people to continue to move forward with renewed hope. The media reported that uh, National Chief Fontaine and other Aboriginal leaders who had met with the Pope said in the statement, was uh, said the statement was significant for all survivors. Fontaine told CBC News that although it was not an official apology, he had hoped that the Pope's statement of regret would bring closure to the issue of Indian residential school survivors. The fact that the word apology was not used does not diminish this moment in any way, he said. This experience gives me great comfort. The Pope's statement of regret was significant to those who were present and was widely reported in the media. But what is unclear, if any, impacts it had on survivors and their families and communities who were not able to hear the Pope's words themselves. Many survivors raised the lack of a clear Catholic apology from the Vatican as evidence that the Catholic Church still has not come to terms with its own wrongdoing in Indian residential schools and has permitted many Catholic nuns and priests to maintain 
that the allegations against their colleagues are false. The statement of regret that children were harmed in the schools is a far cry from a full and proper apology that takes responsibility for the harms that occurred. The commission notes that in 2010, Pope Benedict responded to the issue of issue uh, of abuse in children in Ireland differently and more clearly when he issued a hmm, pastoral letter, a statement that was distributed through the churches and all Catholics in Ireland. And he acknowledged in that church that the church had failed to address the issue of child abuse in Catholic institutions. And he said, only by examining carefully the many elements that gave rise to the present crisis that um, that can a clear-sighted diagnosis of its causes be undertaken and effective remedies be found. Certainly among the contributing factors, we can include inadequate procedures for determining the suitability of candidates for priesthood and the religious life, insufficient human, moral, intellectual, and spiritual foundation in cemeteries and... Mm, Novitates, a tendency in society to favor the clergy and other authority figures, and a misplaced concern for the reputation of the church and the avoidance of scandal resulting in failure to apply existing um, penalties and to safeguard the dignity of every person. Urgent action is required to address these favors, which have had uh, such tragic consequences in the lives and victims of their families. He directly addressed those who were abused as children by church, by church clergy. You have suffered grievously, and I am truly sorry. I know that nothing can undo the wrong that you've endured. Your trust has been betrayed and your dignity has been violated. Many of you found that you were courageous enough to speak to what happened to you and no one would listen. Those of you that were abused in residential institutions must have felt that there was no escape for your suffering. It is understandable that you find it hard to forgive or be reconciled within the church. In her name, I openly express the shame and remorse that we all feel. At the same time, I ask that you not lose hope. Speaking to you as a pastor concerned for the good of all God's children, I humbly ask you to consider what I have said and that you may find some reconciliation, deep inner healing, and peace. That was nice of him to say to the Irish. In Canada... For more than a century, thousands of First Nation Inuit and Métis children were subjected to spiritual, emotional, physical, and sexual abuse in Catholic-run Indian residential schools. Other than a small private audience with Pope De ben Benedict in 2009, the Vatican has remained silent on the Roman Catholic Church's involvement in the Canadian residential school system. During the Commission's hearings, many survivors told us that they knew that the Pope had apologized to survivors of Catholic-run schools in Ireland. They wondered why no similar apology had been extended to them. And they said, I do not hear the Pope say to me, I'm sorry. Those are really important words to me. But he did not say that to the First Nation people. Call to Action 58. We call upon the Pope to issue an apology to survivors, their families, and communities for the Roman Catholic Church's role in the spiritual, emotional, cultural, and physical and sexual abuse of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit children in Catholic-run residential schools. We call for that apology to be similar to the 2010 apology issued to the Irish victims of abuse and to occur within one year of issuing this report to be delivered 
by the Pope in Canada. And this is uh, directly related to my family because my family attended uh, Sacred Heart uh, Catholic Church in um, Fort Providence. That, that's the Indian residential school my family was forced to go to. So this is like critical to my own family. Um, oh, I will go on though. Families or survivors' responses to church apologies. Survivors made many statements to the commission about Canada's apology, but the same cannot be said for their response to church apologies. It is striking that although survivors told us a great deal about how churches have affected their lives and how, as adults, they may or not practice Christianity, they seldom mention the church's apologies or healing and reconciliation activities. This was the case even though, even through even though they heard church representatives offer apologies at the TRC national convention, national events, their engagement with the churches was often more informal and personal. Survivors who visited the church's archival displays in the TRC learning places picked up copies of the apologies and talked directly to the church representatives. They also had conversations with church representatives in the church's listening area and in public sharing circles. And I was a president at one of those. Um, I know I've shared pictures when we went to Edmonton. And uh, I was there with my daughter, my mom, and my granny. And we were in those uh, learning places and actually have an envelope that they gave us. They had uh, pictures and we asked for copies and they actually sent them to us. So um, so that was great. I don't know. Um, well, I don't know. It was a nice gesture. I don't know. Is that what reconciliation is? Giving someone pictures? Anyway, <sighs> I, I digress. <laughs> when the late Alvin Dixon, chair of the United Church of Canada's Indian Residential School Survivor Committee, spoke to the commission in the Northern National Event of Nunavik in 2011, he expressed what many other survivors may have thought about the church's apologies when he said, the apologies did not come readily. They did not come easily. When we heard the apology in 1986, those of us First Nation members in the United Church did not accept the apology, but we agreed to receive it and watch it and wait and work with the United Church to put some flesh, put some substance into that apology. And we all believed that apologies should be words of action, words of sincerity. That should mean something. Our task is to make sure that the United Church lives up to that apology in meaningful ways. You know, the, our work is just beginning, and we're going to hold the church's feet to the fire, other churches, and Canada, to make sure that this whole exercise of healing goes on and for as long as it takes us to recover from the impacts of our experiences in those Indian residential schools. The other issue that comes up is that we're, that we're addressing is having our native spiritual practice condemned initially, not just by the United Church, but by all churches. Well, now we have our church supporting native spiritual gatherings, and we are going to host a national native spiritual gathering in Prince Rupert this summer. So we are very much holding the church's feet to the fire and making sure that there are real commitments to putting life into these apologies. What Alvin Dixon told us consistently is what the commission heard from the survivors. 
about Canada's apologies. Official apologies made on behalf of institutions or governments may be graciously received, but are also understandably viewed with skepticism. When trust has been so badly broken, it can be restored only over time as survivors observe how the church interacts with them daily. He explained in practical terms how survivors would continue to hold the churches accountable. Apologies mark only the beginning point of the pathway of reconciliation, and the proof of their authenticity lies in putting words into action. He emphasized how important it was to survivors that the church not only admit that condemning Indigenous spirituality was wrong, but also that they go one step further and actively support traditional spiritual gatherings. That action, however, calls for ongoing commitment to educate church congregations in the future and the need for such action. And I don't know if we can all agree on it or not, but um, I deal with many religious people that have no concept of what has happened in these lands. And um, because of Canada's immigration policies, we literally get new um, Catholic church representatives here so quickly they have no concept of the history of the Catholic Church here, let alone the history of reconciliation, let alone that longer history of what um, the church actually said that they would be willing to do in some of their apologies. So we'll discuss that more. Um, call to Action 59. We call upon church parties to the settlement agreement to develop ongoing education strategies to ensure that their respective congregations learn about the church's role in colonization, the history and legacy of Indian residential schools, and why apologies to former Indian residential school survivors, students, their families, and communities were necessary. I've met a lot of people that do not get this. Um, honoring Indigenous spirituality. Many survivors told the commission that reconnecting with traditional Indigenous spiritual teachings and practices has been essential to their healing with some ongoing, so far as to say it saved my life. One survivor said, the sun dances and all the other teachings, the healing lodges, the sweat lodges, I know that's what's helped keep my sanity, to keep me from breaking down and becoming a total basket case. That's what has helped me. The teaching of our Aboriginal culture and language. Losing the connection to their languages and culture in Indian residential school has devastating impacts on survivors, their families, and communities. Land, language, culture, and the identity are inseparable from spirituality. All are necessary elements of the way of life of being as Indigenous people. As survivor and Anishinaabe lead elder Fred Kelly has explained, to take the territorial land away from a people whose very spirit is so intrinsically connected to Mother Earth was actually dis possessed them of their very soul and being. It was to destroy the whole indigenous nation, weakening by disease and separating from the traditional food and medicines. First Nation people had no defense against further government encroachments on their lives, yet they continued to abide by the terms of the treaties, trusting in the honor of the crown to no avail. They were mortally wounded in mind, heart, and spirit, that turned them into the walking dead. Recovering would take time, and fortunately, they took their own sacred traditions underground to be practiced in secret until one day 
the revival would surely come. I am happy that my ancestors saw fit to bring their sacred beliefs underground when they were banned and persecuted. Because of them and the Creator, my people are alive, and in them I have found my answers. Jenny Blackbird, who attended the Mohawk Institute in Brantford, Ontario, explained it this way. Our elders taught us that language is the soul of the nation, and the sound of our language is, in, is its cement. Anishinaabegoin gives us the ability to see our future. Anishinaabegoin gives us the ability to listen to what is going on around us and the ability to listen to what is happening inside of us. Through seeing and listening, we can harvest what we've seen to sustain ourselves and to secure the properties that will heal us. Ever since I can remember as a child speaking my language, it helped me to restore my inner harmony by maintaining my emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical well-being. Spiritual fear, confusion, and conflict are the direct consequence of the violence of which traditional beliefs were stripped away from the Indigenous people. This turmoil gives particular urgency to the understanding of the role of Canada's churches in affecting reconciliation with Indigenous people. A number of survivors talk to us about the many contradictions that they now see between their adult knowledge of Christian ethics and biblical teachings and how they were treated in the schools. These contradictions indicate the spiritual fear and confusion that so many survivors have experienced. Children who returned home from the residential school were unable to relate to their families who spoke their traditional languages and practiced traditional spirituality. Survivors who wanted to learn the spiritual teachings of their ancestors were criticized and sometimes ostracized by their own family members who were Christian and by the church. Survivors and their relatives reported that these tensions led to family breakdown such as the depth of the spiritual conflict. The cumulative impact of the residential school was to deny First Nation, Inuit, and Métis peoples their spiritual birthright and heritage. In our view, supporting the right of Indigenous people to self-determination in spiritual matters must be a high priority in the reconciliation progress. To be consistent with the United Nations Declaration on Indigenous People, who were denied the right to practice and teach their own spiritual and religious beliefs and traditions, now must be able to freely and on their own terms. For many, this was not so easily done. Many survivors and their families continue to live in spiritual fear of their own traditions. Such fear is a direct result of the religious beliefs imposed on them by those who ran Indian residential school. Those long internalized fears have spanned several generations and are difficult to shed. It is exacerbated by the fact that Christian doctrine today still fails to accord full and proper respect for Indigenous spiritual belief systems. If it were the survivors alone who faced this dilemma, one could argue that they should be able to resolve this for themselves in whatever way that they can, including the assistance of the trusted church allies. However, <laughs> oh, I'm listening to Native Calgarian. Hi, Darren Krause. <laughs> um, this long internalized fear has spanned several generations and is difficult to shed. It is exacerbated by the fact that Christian doctrine today still fails to accord full and proper respect for Indigenous spiritual belief systems.
If it were the survivors alone who faced this dilemma, I read that. However, the dilemma of spiritual conflict is more than a personal one to survivors. It is the one that extends to their children and their grandchildren who are these modern who in these modern times realize there's so much more to their personal histories than what they've inherited from Indian residential school and Canadian society. They realize that each indigenous nation also has its own history and that such histories are a part of who they are. Yes, yes, I know they're gone from my point of view, but I, I know that they're there to learn, but it, it sucks. I can tell you firsthand. Young First Nation, Inuit and Métis people today are searching for their identities. Yep. Which include our languages and cultures. Yep. I can verify that is true. Aboriginal parents want their children raised in a community environment that provides all of this. Well, some do. Mine don't. But I do, as a parent of my child, I want that for my daughter. However, there is conflict within communities when those who have been influenced by doctrines of the churches believe that it, to teach Indigenous cultural beliefs to their children is to uh, propagate evil. And there are those who continue to actively speak out against Indigenous spiritual beliefs and to block or prohibit their practice. And actually, I just shared uh, today an article from Georgia from a Black pastor that outlawed, uh, that outlawed, um, uh, condemned our religious belief of smudge. So that's a great example of it. And it's 2020. To have a right that you are so afraid to exercise is to have no right at all. Well, it's a really great statement, 100% true, and I just know I just annoy the shit out of everybody else who I try to exert my right to do that. Um, they see me as a troublemaker for wanting to do that, whether it's smudge in a public building or whichever. The Declaration asserts that governments and their parties now have the obligation to assist Indigenous communities to restore their own spiritual belief systems and faith practices where these have been damaged or subjected to spiritual violence through past laws, policies, and practices. No one should be told who is or how to worship their creator. That is the individual choice, and for Indigenous peoples, it is a collective right. However, First Nation, Inuit, and Métis people need to be assured that they do indeed have the freedom to choose and that their choice will be respected. And we know today that is not respected and that it is not uh, free for us to do that. We are constantly asking for permission to smudge, um, to be able to drum, to be able to speak. We are not represented in government, so on and so forth. All religious dom dominations in Canada must respect this right. But the United Anglican Presbyterian and Catholic churches as parties to the settlement agreement bear a particular responsibility to formally recognize Indigenous spirituality as a valid form of worship that is equal to their own. It cannot be left up to individuals in the churches to speak out when such freedoms to worship are denied. Rather, the churches as religious institutions must affirm Indigenous spirituality in its own right. Without such formal recognition, a full and robust reconciliation will be impossible. Healing and reconciliation have a spiritual dimension that must continue to be addressed 
by the churches in participation with Indigenous spiritual leaders, survivors, and families and communities. Many Indigenous people who do no longer subscribe to, to Christian teachings have found the reclaiming of their Indigenous spirituality important to their healing and sense of identity. Some have no desire to integrate Indigenous spirituality into Christian religious institutions. Rather, they believe that Indigenous spirituality and Western religion should coexist on separate but parallel paths. Elder Jim Dumont told the Commission about the importance of non-inference uh, and mutual respect, and he said that the abuse, the damage has, that has been done in Indian residential school, one of the primary sources is, that, is the church. The church has to take ownership for that. But what bothers me is it is the church that continues to hold on to our people. Just get out of the way for a while so we can do what we need to do. Because as long as you're standing there thinking that you're supporting us, you're actually preventing us from getting to our own truth about this and our own healing about this. But I think the other thing that being avoided by the church is that the need to reconcile within the spirit. I think that the church has to reconcile with the creator. I'm not a Christian, but I have a high regard for the spirit who is called Jesus. When I think what the church can reconcile with their God and their savior for all that they've done, then maybe we can talk to them about reconciling amongst ourselves. In contrast, Aboriginal Christians who also practice indigenous spirituality speak indigenous or seek indigenous and Christian spiritual and religious coexistence with the churches themselves. United Church Reverend Alf Dumont, the first speaker of the All Native Circle Conference, said, Respect is one of the greatest teachings that come from the original people of this land. Our ancestors followed that teaching when they met with their Christian brothers and sisters so many years ago. They saw a truth and a sacredness that they could not deny in Christian teachings. Many were willing to embrace these teachings and leave their traditional teachings. Some were willing to embrace the teachings but wanted to hold on to their own. Some do not leave their own traditions and when persecuted went into hiding either deep into the mountains or deep within themselves. Many were suspicious of the way the Christian teachings were presented and how they lived. They were suspicious of the fact that they were asked to deny their own sacred teachings and ways to adopt only the new teachings that they were given. Why would they not take from what they needed these new teachers and still live from their own? That was the understandings and teachings of holding respect for others' beliefs. It was the way of the First Peoples. Presbyterian Reverend Margaret Mulligan, whose name is also Thundering Eagle Woman, put it this way. Can the Reverend Margaret Mulligan or the Thunder Eagle woman from the Bear Clan be a strong Anishinaabe woman and a Christian simultaneously? Yes, I can, because I do not have my feet in two worlds, two religions, or two different understandings of God. Two halves of me are one in the same spirit. I can learn from my grandparents, Europeans, and Indigenous Canadians who have walked on the same path ahead of me. I can learn from Jesus and I can learn from my elders. Each of the settlement agreement churches has wrestled with the theological, theological challenges and necessary institutional reforms that arise with 
regard to indigenous spiritual beliefs and practices. At the same time, Aboriginal church members have taken a leadership role to advocate for indigenous perspective and ensure that they are fully represented in the institutional structures, programs, and services of their respective churches. The General Assembly of Presbyterian Church of Canada in 2013 endorsed a report on the development of a theological framework of, for indigenous spirituality within the church. The report noted the need for Aboriginal Christians to be true to their indigenous identity and their Christian faith, and concluded, among other things, that this conversation has the potential not to simply help us address our relationship with, as Presbyterians with Aboriginal people, it has a, pr a potential to, to contribute to the renewal of our church. The Anglican Church was developing a vision for self-governance, indigenous church to coexist with the broader institute and structure of the church. In 2001, a strategic plan called a new GUP uh, was formally adopted by the church's general synagogue meeting. The plan set out the church's vision for a new relationship based on a partnership with focus on the cultural, spiritual, social, and economic independence of Indigenous communities. To give expression with this new relationship, the Anglican Church of Canada will work primarily with Indigenous people for a truly um, Anglican Indigenous Church of Canada. It is an important step to the overall quest for self-governance. 2007, the year my daughter was born, the church appointed Reverend Mark MacDonald as the first Indigenous National Bishop. The United Church has also examined the theological foundations. In 2006 report, Living Faithfully in the Midst of the Empire, report to the 30th, 39th General Council of 2006, the United Church responded to an earlier call from the World Council of Churches to reflect on the question of power and empire from a biblical and theological perspective, take a firm face stance against homogenic powers because all power is accountable to God. The report recommended that further work be done with a follow-up report. A reviewing partnership with the contact of the empire was issued in 2009. The report's theological reflection noted, our development with the partnership model was an attempt to move beyond the paternalism and colonialism of the 19th century missions. The current work to develop right relations with Indigenous people is an attempt to move beyond the, historic, the history of colonization and racism. This ongoing struggle to move beyond empire involves the recognition that our theology and biblical interpretations have often supported sexism, racism, colonialism, and the exploitation of creation. Boy, uh, that's a great quote. Uh, theological or theologies of empire have understood men and God as separate and superior to women, indigenous people, and nature. In the 2012 executive of the General Council reported on the following follow-up to the 2006 and 2009 reports on how to re-envision the church church's theological purpose in restructuring its institute by shifting from a theological and of empire to a theologic uh, to a theological of partnership theology of partnership sorry the commission asked all the settlement agreement churches to take to tell us their views on indigenous spirituality and what steps were taken within their respective institutions to respect 
indigenous uh, spiritual practices. In 2015, two of the settlement agreement churches responded to this call. That sucks. Only two? We'll have to keep looking. On January 29th, 2015, the Presbyterian Church of Canada issued a statement on Aboriginal spiritual practices. Among other things, the church said, as part of the church's commitment to the journey of truth and reconciliation, the Presbyterian Church in Canada has learned that the many facets, many facets of Aboriginal traditional spiritualities bring life and oneness with creation. Accepting this has sometimes been a challenge for the Presbyterian Church in Canada. We are now aware that there is a wide variety of Aboriginal spiritual practices, and we acknowledge that it is our church to continue in humility to learn the deep significance of these practices and to respect them and the Aboriginal elders who are the keepers of their traditional sacred truths. We acknowledge and respect both Aboriginal members of our Presbyterian Church in Canada who wish to bring traditional practices into our congregations and those Aboriginal members who are not comfortable or willing to do so. The church must be a community where all are valued and respected. It is not for the Presbyterian Church of Canada to validate or invalidate Aboriginal spiritualities and practices. Our, ch our church, however, is deeply respective of these traditions. And on February 18th, 2015, the United Church of Canada issued a statement uh, affirming other spiritual paths. This document set out various statements and apologies made by the church with regard to Indigenous spirituality, including an expression of reconciliation at the TRC's Alberta National Event on March 27, 2014, which I would have been at. Among other things, the church said, in humility, the church acknowledges its complicity in the de degradation of Indigenous wisdom and spirituality and offers the following statements from its recent history. In doing so, the church recognizes with pain that this is a complex and sensitive issue for some within Aboriginal communities of faith who, as a result of our Christianizing work and the legacy of colonialism, are on a journey of to restore her, um, harmony and spiritual balance. We have learned that good intentions are never enough, especially when wrapped in the misguided zeal of cultural and spiritual superiority. Thus, we have learned that we were wrong to reject, discredit, and yes, even outlaw traditional Indigenous spiritual practice and ceremony. In amazing circles of grace, we have begun to listen to the wisdom of the elders, and we have found that our own faith enriched and deepened, and we are grateful. We know we have a long journey ahead of us. We are committed to making that journey in humility and partnership, engaging in the healing work of making whole our own spirituality and acknowledging that holding both your spirituality and ours is possible through listening and learning with open hearts. Oh, I love that. That's so great. It was like I was there. <laughs> Probably was. I just don't absolutely remember it at all. <laughs> I do remember meeting um, a, a woman who was actually part of the Lutheran uh, faith. And when I came back home and all excited to tell Prince of Peace, it was quickly pointed out to me that there are two types of Lutherans. And um, the one that they are with do not recognize her as a Lutheran. So 
anyway. <laughs> in terms of institutional reform, the Canadian Catholic Aboriginal Council established in 1998 advises the Canadian Con uh, Conference of Catholic Bishops on issues regarding Aboriginal people within the Catholic Church. The Council's mandate is to study and analyze issues relating to the Catholic Aboriginal spirituality and education, encouraging Aboriginal leadership in the Christian community, support and promote reconciliation in the context of the Catholic reality, and serve as an important link between Aboriginal Catholics and non-Aboriginal Catholics. Yikes, that's still pretty self-serving. The commission notes that all settlement agreement churches have recognized the need to provide theological education and training for Aboriginal church members to take leadership positions within the church and work within the Aboriginal ministry programs. Not going to lie, that actually does show you still don't understand colonialism to have so many expectations of our people to take leadership roles in the very oppressive churches that caused, you know, immense trauma and intergenerational trauma. But that's just me. Beginning in 2007, the Church's Council on Theological Education in Canada held a series of con conferences that sought to encourage and deepen the exploration of questions with respect to Indigenous and Christian beliefs and the incorporation of Indigenous spiritual and cultural practices into Christian practices. Through these events, the Council also sought to challenge post-secondary institutions to consider how to best prepare theological students for ministry in Canada, excuse me, in consideration not only of Indigenous people, their culture and spirituality, but also the need for churches to engage in healing and reconciliation between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples. The Toronto School of Theology made a public commitment to give the same academic respect to Indigenous knowledge, including traditional Indigenous spiritual teachings, as to traditions of Greek philosophy and modern science. This pledge was made at the Meeting Place, an event co-sponsored by the Council Fire Native Cultural Centre and the Toronto Conference of the United Church of Canada in June of 2012. Ooh, I see that. Uh, DJ Indian is going to be talking about language right now, so you can listen to him too. Yet, the remains of to be done in education and training with regards to reconciling Indigenous spirituality and Christianity in ways that support Indigenous self-determination. Writing in 2009, the former, oh boy, Archdeacon for the Anglican Church and founding member of the Indian... Ecumenical Conference, sorry, Reverend John A. Mackenzie said, Most urgently, churches need to consider opening a serious dialogue with Aboriginal theological uh, theologians, thank you, uh, doctors and healers who represent the North American intellectual tradition. Aboriginal peoples call for the recognition of the truth of past injustices and respect for their civilizations. Most of all, this is a call for respect for their traditional religions, thoughts, and practices. The only legitimate North American... What? The only legitimate North American intellectual tradition comes from the diverse tribal societies in our midst. Okay, that really started off like it was going to be bad. <laughs> Sustainable recon reconciliation will only take place when every Canadian cemetery 
includes a course on Aboriginal religious traditions when every congregation reflects on North American intellectual tradition by initiating and inviting Indigenous leaders with such discussions. When Aboriginal peoples achieve real self-governance within their churches and when Christian theology not only respects Indigenous thought but learns from it. Oh, I love that. The call to action. We call upon leaders of the church. Oh, this is call to action 60. We call upon leaders of the church parties and the settlement agreement and all other faiths in collaboration with indigenous spiritual leaders, survivors, schools of theology, cemeteries and uh, seminaries, sorry, and other religious training centers to develop and teach curriculum for all student clergy and all clergy and staff who work in aboriginal communities on the need to respect indigenous spirituality in its own right the history and legacy of residential schools and the roles of the church parties in the system the history and legacy of religious conflict in aboriginal families and communities and the responsibilities that churches have to mitigate such conflicts and prevent uh, spiritual violence Whew, that's a lot. That's a good one. Um, what's that? All right. So I'm just going to go back to Beyond 94. Um, okay, I, I still have one more, still have a bit more to read, but um, I wanted to go back to Beyond 94, and that's, again, the CBC um, tally from their perspective. Of course, that's Canadian... Um, uh, taxpayer funded maybe is a better way to put it state owned if you're a conservative out there <laughs> so um on there uh they put reconciliation of 43 to 94 together but um here we are on 58 the pope to issue an apology it's marked as not not started so and there's a little videos of um senator sinclair reading it in march of 2018 the vatican confirmed that pope francis will not issue an apology to survivors their families and communities according to the letter released by bishop lionel jurgen president of the canadian conference of catholic bishops the holy father is aware of the finding of the truth and reconciliation commission which he takes seriously as far as a call to action 58 is concerned after carefully considering the request and extensive dialogue with the bishops of Canada, he felt that he could not personally respond. Well, that's what I think of you, Bishop Francis. So, this is despite the fact that in December of 2016, the Vatican's ambassador to Canada said reconciliation between the Catholic Church and the Indigenous peoples was a top priority and that he would make every effort to travel to Saskatchewan and deliver an apology. 2017, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met with Pope Francis and asked for an apology on behalf of Indian residential school survivors. The Vatican then later issued that statement, saying that Pope Francis would consider the request. Saskatchewan Tribal Council Chief Felix, Felix Thomas and... Regina Archdiocese Archbishop Don Bolin had been working to bring Pope Francis to Wanaquin. Sorry, my apologies. 
Heritage Park near Saskatoon for the apology in May 2018. Uh, sorry, uh, MPs backed a motion to vote to a vote of 269 to 10 to invite Pope Francis to Canada so that he can apologize in, per in person to the Roman Catholic Church's role in the Indian residential school system. I don't know if anybody's watching or listening, but I'd love for you to Google who those 10 people were that voted against that motion because they're not on my good books. I tell you, I will have to look that one up. All right. So that's one. Uh, struggling a little here. Next. Click. Okay. So this next one we uh, would be 59. So that was kind of the one I just read. Church parties to uh, Indian school settlement to educate congregation on why apologies are necessary. Oh, really? Beyond 94, you called this one complete? How many church members do I meet on a regular basis that have no idea what I'm talking about? <sighs> anyway, all the churches involved in the Indian Residential School are members of Keros Canada, an organization that works to for ecological justice and human rights. Uh, Kairos Blanket Exercise is particularly important educational resource that many of the churches use to teach their congregations about the history of Indian residential schools. They have this literally marked complete. I'm sorry, but we haven't done enough blanket exercises across the country for this to be complete. Anyway, their analysis says all of the churches involved in Indian residential schools are members of, which is basically what I just read, according to the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops, in their Catholic response to implementing UNDRIP, there is a list of recommendations for churches to follow. One states that the Catholic Church should continue to work with Catholic educational institutions and programs of formation and learning to tell the history of Canada in a way that is truthful. Boy, you guys have already dropped the ball there. Ensuring proper treatment of the history and experience of Indigenous peoples, including the experience of oppression and marginalization, which resulted from the Indian Act, the Indian residential school system, and frequently ignoring or undermining the signed treaties. In a statement to CBC News, the Presbyterian Church of Canada says that, excuse me, healing and reconciliation is named in the strategic plan. In 2006, it launched the Healing and Reconciliation Program. Its mandates include providing educational resources and leadership to our uh, denomination. Hmm. Huh. So, I don't know about that. Anyway, church now offers workshops and activities with members of the church to draw attention to the relationship of the church and indigenous people and work to uh, respond to the TRC calls to action, including support for the implementation of the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. And I will just point out to Beyond 94 and CBC, um, I sure did not see, you know, in the Wutsutuin solidarity um, protests, any of the churches that claim that they are working to support the implementation of the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People and responding to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 94 calls to action. I sure didn't see them with us. I didn't see big banners that saying Catholic Church is sorry for everything that we've done and support the Wutsutuin. 
didn't see that. Just saying. And that's not just a Catholic church thing. Anyway, 2007. The church created a... Oh, why with all these words? Liturgy for Healing and Reconciliation, which talks about the legacy of Indian residential schools. There are two sermons included in the package. The Anglican Church of Canada, in its official response to the TRC report, states that we enthusiastically support the call for teaching about the history and legacy of Indian residential schools in all Canadian schools and commit ourselves to ensuring that the teaching ministry of our churches also acknowledges these realities. The church has prayers and liturgies that focus on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples as listed here. And you can click there. The church has an Anglican Council of Indigenous People, which were instrumental in finding the first Indigenous bishop. (sighs) I don't know, folks. Anyway, Melanie Delva, reconciliation animator for the Anglican Church of Canada, says that there is a primate's commission on the doctrine of discovery, reconciliation and justice, and its job is to look at what the church is doing to respond to UNDRIP and the legacy of Indian residential schools and create educational material. Hmm, I haven't come across that educational material. It has created brochures on the topic, such as the Doctrine of Discovery and the Royal Proclamation of 1763, which is the foundation of basically stealing land. The United Church of Canada has created an educational strategy for congregations to learn about the church's role in colonization and Indian residential schools. Among the educational material available are worship resources, histories, and photos of the school available on the web, and a book called, Sorry, Well, uh, Why Our Church Apologized. <laughs> I got I gotta look that up. In addition to this, the church states it uses educational material provided by Cairo, such as the blanket exercise, a Lori Ransom, <laughs> Reconciliation and Indigenous Justice Animator for the United Church of Canada, says that the church is an ongoing commitment to teaching congregations about Indian residential schools. The Evangelical Church uh, Lutheran Church of Canada has created a resource called Indigenous Rights and Relationships, which supports its mandate to encourage all members of congregation to reflect on their own national and church history, to seek greater understanding of the issues facing Indigenous people, and to walk with Indigenous people on their ongoing efforts to exercise inherent sovereignty and fundamental human rights. Well, I did not see the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Canada standing with us at the Wet'suwet'en blockades, even though, according to their own mandate, says that they understand the issues we face and walk with us and our ongoing efforts to exercise inherent sovereignty and fundamental human rights. That's literally what the Wet'suwet'en blockade was all about, folks. Sorry. (sighs) Okay, so... That was put together by the team of Beyond 94. Now, the next one, which I think is the 60 here, in progress, according to Beyond 94. Okay, okay. But I was going to keep reading from that. So I just want to make sure I'm good for time. Yeah, we still got some time because we go till 8.30. So we're, we're only an hour in. 
normally this goes a lot quicker because everybody's kind of well we usually have you know six to twelve people and they're kind of chiming in with what's going on in their world so this is kind of weird me doing my own book club today but i really appreciate anyone who's listening whether you're darren kraus or my um, former boss the executive director of 12 csi larry leach or if you're maybe you've never heard of my book club before and maybe if you've ever listened to my podcast you've heard me talk about it but now officially we're on here so let's get back to um call to action 60. oh no i think we're all done didn't we do do them all pretty sure we might have done them all hola which would be really great so no, nope, we got to go to 61. Okay, so we have one more to do here. Here we are. And um, actually, I just seen that I have a message from one of my people here. So Kat, who runs a settler book club, says, Hi, I'm not sure if I'm doing something wrong, but I couldn't access your live stream. Sorry. So yeah, it's really hard because even though we've put this out there, I've tried to, you know, get everybody to go there we've had larry give the links i don't know what it is that you know we're, we're just i know that there is like a sometimes a generational um you know literacy knowledge when it comes to computers and such and i mean i say that pointing that finger at myself because i know i've been learning about new apps and i still haven't figured out how to do the switch that i see dj indians on right now that i wish i could be on there but i really need to learn dene not anishinaabe Regardless, I hope you're listening. Thank you for listening to this part so far. We only have one more call to action to really talk about, and then we can kind of devolve into, you know, the second part of that. So, um, church healing and reconciliation projects. Beginning in the 1990s, the four settlement agreement churches began allocating specific funds for community-led healing and reconciliation projects. This work continues under the terms of the settlement agreement. Each of the defendant churches agreed to provide and manage funds specifically dedicated to healing and reconciliation. All of the churches established committees, including Aboriginal representatives, to review and approve projects. In broad terms, the reconciliation projects funded by the settlement agreement churches have had three primary purposes. One, healing. The Toronto Urban Native Ministry, funded by the Anglican United and Roman Catholic Churches, reaches out to Aboriginal people on the street, in hospitals, in jails, shelters, and hostiles. In hostels, sorry. The ministry works with all Aboriginal people who are socially marginalized and impoverished, impoverished, including survivors and intergenerational family members who have been impacted by Indian residential schools. Oh boy. Anna McEwigaman Kenora Fellowship Center, with funds from the Presbyterian Church of Canada, developed a Step Up Tools for the Soul in partnership with local Aboriginal organizations. Under the program, a series of 10 teaching events led by Aboriginal elders, teachers, and professionals were held to support survivors and family members on their healing journey, featuring education about tradition, culture, and with the goal of fostering reconciliation. Language and culture revitalization. 
The Language Immersion Canoe Course in Tofino, British Columbia, funded by the United Church, focused on reconciling, uh, reconnecting, sorry, <laughs> Aboriginal youth to their homelands and cultures. For one month, young Aboriginal people from Vancouver Island, including a committee, a community, including the cum, uh, community, holy cow, community of Ahoskut, where the United Church operated a school, were taken to a remote and ancient Heskowit village site to learn the Heskowit language through the art of canoe making. The four-season cultural camp of the Serpent River First Nation in Ontario, funded by the Anglican Church, uses traditional practices of harvesting, food storage, storytelling, and related ceremonies to promote language and culture. The Anglicans also supported the Wilderness Retreat for young people in, oh boy, in Nipikimik, First Nation of Summer Beaver, Ontario. It taught traditional ways while instilling a sense of self-confidence in the youth as they successfully complete the activities in the camp. And the third one, educational and relationship building. The Anglican and Roman Catholic churches still have relatively large numbers of Aboriginal members. Still have two people watching. Hi. Um, so many of their initiatives focused on bringing their own Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal members together. The Anglican Church has worked to build understanding and counter stereotypes among its members through anti-racism training. The Roman Catholic entities were among the core funders of Returning to Spirit, Indian Residential School Healing and Reconciliation Program. The program brings Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal participants together to gain insights into residential school experiences and develop new communication and relationship building skills. The settlement agreement churches bears the special responsibility to continue to support the long-term healing needs of survivors, their families and communities who are still struggling with a range of health, social and economic impacts. The closure of the National Aboriginal Healing Foundation in 2014 after Stephen Harper's cuts when government funding ended has left a significant gap in funding for community-based healing projects at a very time that healing for many individuals and communities is still just beginning. Harper. The churches must also continue to educate their own congregations and facilitate dialogue between Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal peoples. Much of this has been accomplished through the healing and reconciliation projects of the settlement agreement churches, but there remains more to be done. Finally, the last call to action for this segment, 61. We call upon all church parties of the settlement agreement in collaboration with survivors and, represent and representatives of Aboriginal organizations to establish permanent funding to Aboriginal people for one, community-controlled healing and reconciliation projects to community-controlled culture and language revitalization product, projects, and three, community-controlled education and relationship-building projects. And four, the last one, regional dialogues for Indigenous spiritual leaders 
and youth to discuss Indigenous spirituality, self-determination, and reconciliation. Whew, that was a lot to read. But it was worth it because I'm not too sure why anyone is here. But or um, I'm not sure if anyone is still here watching. But that was a lot to read. And I just find that when we're in our circles, you know, a lot of people say a lot of different things. Or they'll, you know, tell us their experiences in their own churches about what people are doing for reconciliation. And like, for example, even if you weren't one of the churches that were directly involved in uh, Indian residential school, you know, not having those conversations of what, you know, the land that we're on and maybe the history of, of this, like you, you are still um, not doing your part in educating all of your congregations or mosques or um, temples, all of those affiliations. So, you know, I, I wish all people seen their role at the church level or at their spiritual worship, a place of worship, why this is so important for us to be talking about here in Canada. But I am sad, um, Kat, that you couldn't join us. So I will just type, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you will be on the recorded piece. Peace forever. That was unnecessary. I apologize to my listeners. <laughs> okay, so back to Beyond 94, which is one of my favorite things to use. It says that projects are underway. Um, so again, it goes through the call to action, the one I just read to you, and does a summary. Each of the ch uh, church parties to the settlement agreement have implemented this call to action, albeit at varying degrees. So, analysis. Each of the church parties to the settlement agreement has implemented this call to action, albeit at varying degrees. In the Anglican Church of Canada, most of its theology schools offer modules or entire courses on Indigenous history within the church. In January of 2018, a written statement to the CBC uh, Melina Delva, the reconciliation animator of the Anglican Church of Canada, noted that the Anglican uh, seminaries, schools of theology and ministry, are all independent entities for which the Anglican Church of Canada has no direct oversight. Hmm. But Delva, who is creating a reconciliation database to monitor the work in progress of reconciliation projects of all parish levels across the country stated that of the seminaries that provided input for the database, there were that all were aware of call to action 60 and are engaged at one level or another in educating their students in the history and effects of colonization, indigenous spirituality, and the migration mitigation sorry of spiritual violence in communities i wish i was seeing that online delva states that education ranges from specific degree programs and in indigenous ministries to lecture series and field trips to indigenous communities to elective and required courses in the history of the colonial church indigenous spirituality and social justice further the Anglican Church is currently developing a model on colonial history and reconciliation, which will be implemented in its nationwide 
theological training program for lay people called Education for Ministry. So if you're one of those people that know in what we're talking about, I'd love to hear from you. This module is expected to be completed and implemented sometime in 2018, which means it's been over a year, folks, you know, even if it was done like December 2018, it's been over a year. So I'd love to hear from you about it. In a March 2016 response to the TRC calls to action, the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops appealed to laity members of institutions of uh, consecrative life and societies of apocalypse to work with centers of pastoral and clergy formation to promote a culture of encounter by including the study of history of Canadian missions, which encompasses the history of Indian residential schools. Hmm, that seems pretty weak. It also suggested that Indigenous teachers be recruited to educate clery, clergy and pastoral workers. Hmm. Love to hear from you if you were one of those Indigenous leaders that actually got recruited by the Catholic Church to teach their clergy. You know, that sounds something like unicorns and leprechauns coming, and I hope I'm wrong. The CCB also appealed to bishops and their dioceses in collaboration with Indigenous people to develop programs of education on Indigenous experience and culture. That's, that's Catholic's work so far. In the Presbyterian Church of Canada, formation information sorry, about the Indian residential school experience is available, but education of this kind is self-directed and not embedded, embedded in its formal training programs. Week. In 2017, statement to CBC News, the Presbyterian Church in Canada says, any clergy in the church may use and invite training opportunities from the Healing and Reconciliation Program, which we all know was cut the year after. The church's Healing and Reconciliation Liturgy Kit includes sermons for clergy who want to talk about Indian residential schools and the treatment of Indigenous peoples, in 2015, the United Church of Canada, through the blah, 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 working group on Indian residential schools, contributed to the creation of a theological re reflection paper identifying questions and learning learnings arising from the role of the Indian residential school system in order to foster discussion and dis discur discernment in theological colleges and learning centers. Discernment, I think according to its official response to the TRC calls to action statement. In December of 2016, the church identified the need to educate student clergy, clergy already paid accountable ministry and the clergy from other denominations and countries being admitted to order ministry, as well as all clergy and staff working in Aboriginal communities, particularly non-Aboriginal clergy. This is required this will require the work of the whole church as well as the theological church centers. Lori Ransom, uh, Reconciliation and Indigenous Justice Animator for the United Church, says that this is done school by school. But I would say that all, all seminaries, as part of the history courses, will talk about Indian residential school legacy. So that's, that's the official thing so far. So 
actually, uh, the actual Canadian website also has these exact same calls to action, which are slightly different than the ones that I had talked about on Beyond 94. So these are more, I hate to say it, even though it's official government um, words, it's still tainted to the government of the day. So for call to action 58, it says what is happening on May 29th, 2017, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau met with His Holiness Pope Francis at the Vatican. During his meeting, the Prime Minister formally asked the Pope to deliver a papal apology for the Catholic Church's role in Indian residential schools. March 28th, 2018, which is like literally a year later, the Prime Minister received a letter from a senior representative at the Catholic Church in Canada, which stated that Pope Francis will not issue an apology and that the Prime Minister told reporters that I am obviously disappointed in the Catholic Church's decision not to apologize for their role in Indian residential schools. The Government of Canada will continue to advocate for a papal, papal sorry, apology. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> My apologies. It's a lot of reading. You know, I'm trying, verbalizing it. So for Call 59, the government says... The government of Canada is not the lead on a response for call to action 59, which is true because that one is that we call upon the church parties of the settlement agreement to develop ongoing education strategies to ensure their resep, blah, 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 blah. But you know, I'm not, I will say this before I let you off the hook, government of Canada, you're the ones who give them a tax break. So if they're not being accountable, then let's pull their funding and make them pay taxes. So the four of you, I'm watching you. You know what I'm going to be advocating from within the freaking party if you guys don't pull some stuff together. Anyway, call to action 60. What's happening according to the Canadian government? Uh, again, the Canadian government is not on the lead for this. Blah, 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 blah. Again, I'll say the same thing I said before. And the last one, same thing. Government of Canada does not have a lead. Yeah, well, I will say this, though, for the, those three, the government of Canada does play a role, as does every provincial and uh, territorial, um, you know, premier or leader. And then municipally, the same thing. Um, you know, we should be holding these folks accountable. So I wish more people would. And I do know that even with what they said, where they are supposed to affirm, you know, the rights of Indigenous people and self-determination. Well, I didn't see you with us when we were pro protesting. So I still think you're dropping the ball in a lot of ways. Anyway, so that's that. So those are, according to the government, the United Church, like I was looking on their uh, website and they actually have like videos of moving together and as Indigenous and non-Indigenous people, we have worked more faithfully, reflecting who we are as a church. And they talk about the 1986 apology, the 1988 response. You know, and I don't remember any of this. And I remember the Olympics, but I don't remember any of this. Um, but I know locally we have a really great United Church leader that really worked on all of that. And I'm really proud to to know him. Anyway. So they actually have downloads of all of their apologies. They have a download of a download of braiding reconciliation, prayer, ritual, and background, affirming other spiritual paths. And these are all PDFs that you can download. 
From Apology Towards Reconciliation, Reflection Processes for Conference and Presbytery Meetings, which is weird because it's united, whatever. Apology, the 30th anniversary in a hymn. Apology, 30, 30th anniversary litany. And 30th anniversary apology worship service. So that that's all loaded. And they have that right on their on their webpage. So I'm like, I think that's impressive. I wish all of the churches had something like that. So that's just the United Church. And then the Anglican Church, they have, oh, and there's, um, again, with the United Church, Reconciliation and Indigenous Justice. So they have like all of this extra stuff about um, what they're doing. Uh, of course, the Globe and Mail has their Vatican won't publicly apologize stuff. And I, I don't know. That's really, it's hard for me because I know at the end of the day, that's the, you know, that directly affects my family. But it's, it's fine. It's not fine. Um, so I'm on the Anglican Church of Canada's website. And uh, they have on here their apology that they gave in 1993. And they have it in multiple different languages. Although I don't see Denny on there. Maybe Gwich'in is a dialect of Denny that they think is okay. I'm just saying Anglican Church. I don't know. But on the, on the sidebar, they have Reconciliation Toolkit, Historical Sketch for Anglican Residential Schools, Anglican Residential Schools, Response to the Churches, and the TRC Commission of Canada. They have a listing of missing children. So we're doing this section, but our next sections will include the um, after 61. So I should probably just bring that up right now. So not next book club, but the book club after will be Education for Reconciliation. So that section is 62, 63, 64, and 65. And Missing Children isn't until 71, so that's still a few months away. So that's where we're at with that. But they actually have that listed here. Uh, prayers and ceremonies, resources, and vigils for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Hey, hats off to you for that. Uh, Indigenous people and the Anglican Church of Canada timeline of a evolving relationship. Oh, let me tell you why that makes me so happy. So sad part of this coronavirus was that I had to cancel the remaining part of our uh, Mending Broken Hearts seminars that we were, or uh, course that we were doing through the Aboriginal Friendship Centre here in Calgary. And one of the things that I encourage people to do within this program is to work on their trauma timeline. So when a church actually has basically done that by having a timeline, that's a huge deal. That, that makes me super happy. So, yeah, I'm pretty happy with what I'm seeing on the Anglican Church of Canada's uh, sidebar here. Um, so timeline of evolving relationship, uh, recon, uh, regional and national TRC events. The And I'm on their um, page here that has the apology in all these different languages. And then Dignity, Courage, Resilience, a Reconciliation Feast, and then uh, Front Runners. And they have a, I'm assuming it's a Jibway word to go with that. An archive of uh, general synagogue communications about Indian residential school, 
which is good that they have that and that keeps going. So yeah, I'm pretty happy with what the Anglican Church is doing and the United Church is doing because that's really important work, um, in my opinion. It's sad that it has to always be framed like on the Anglican Church. They have the response to, um, you know, to the churches, and this would be June second, two thousand fifteen. So, for those who don't know, like all the Indian residential school survivors sued the government and sued, and that's why we had the TRC. The settlement money came out of that. So that's why you keep hearing me say a settlement agreement because it was a legal case that that was fought by the uh, survivors. So anyway, the Anglican Church of Canada, the Presbyterian Church of Canada, the Roman Catholic entity parties to the settlement agreement, the United Church of Canada and the Jesuits of English Canada make the following statement in response to the findings and calls to action issued by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada. It is with great gratitude and humility that we are here to speak together as representatives of churches that participated in the operation of Indian residential schools. We are grateful to the commissioners and the staff of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission of Canada for the commitment for which they have carried out their mandate, and we are humbled in their knowledge and that we continue to share a responsibility to ensure that the task of reconciliation does not end today. Beginning in the 19th century and continuing until the late 1960s, our churches were partners with the Government of Canada in running Indian residential schools. Notwithstanding the good intent, oh, why did that have to be said? Notwithstanding the good intent and care that many who worked in the schools, of many who worked in the schools, it is clear that the Indian residential schools in policy and in practice were an assault on Indigenous families, culture, language, and spiritual traditions, and that a great harm was done. Also called genocide, look it up. We continue to acknowledge and regret our part in that legacy. Those harmed were children vulnerable from their families and communities. The sexual, physical, and emotional abuse that they suffered is well documented. Over the last six years, we have, along with the commission, listened to the experiences of those former students who are no longer children. They are adults, some very old, who tell heartbreaking stories. We have heard them speak of wounds so deep that healing could not happen and of damaged visits upon visited upon their own children. We have also heard them witness to their resilience and that of their communities, which has made possible many healing journeys. We have heard of friendships formed in the Indian residential schools in which children supported one another, sometimes for the rest of their lives. Perhaps most humbling of all, we have heard the survivors speak with enormous grace and generosity of teachers and others whose kindness offered some respite from the pain and humiliation that so deeply marked the overall experience of the schools. I like that last statement. We are grateful to the survivors who courageously witnessed, who courageous, courageous, whose courageous witness has touched the heart of the life of our churches. There have been apologies from our churches, yet we know that our apologies are not enough. We are so grateful as well to the commissioners of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission for their findings and for their clarity about our, on, our continuing responsibilities. We acknowledge and welcome the specific calls to action that offer direction to the churches and our continuing commitment to reconciliation. In particular, we are committed to respect Indigenous spiritual traditions in their own right as individual churches and in shared interfaith and 
in initiatives, for example, through CAROS, through interfaith groups, and through the Canadian Council of Churches, we continue to foster learning about an awareness of the reality of legacy of Indian residential school, the negative impact of such past teachings as doctrine of discovery, and the new ways forward found in places such as the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples. We will continue our commitment to financial support for community-controlled initiatives in healing, language, and cultural revitalization, education, and relationship building, and self-determination. We welcome the Commissioner's call to the parties of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement for the New Covenant of Reconciliation that will renew and expand our shared commitment for the continuing work of reconciliation and invite others into that work, including new Canadians who, while we're not part of the historic injustice, are now part of the country which understands and addressing that injustice is a national priority for all Canadians. I love that. I love that last statement. I'm going to copy and paste that. Uh, we also welcome wider calls to action that include our members as citizens and residents of Canada. There is a crucial need for all kinds of public and governmental initiatives that the commissioners identify, including the establishment of a National Council of Reconciliation that would continue to hold this work before Parliament and the Canadian people. I know we've done that uh, call to action, the National Council of Reconciliation, that's still not set up, but that was an election uh, promise. Um, apparently there was money uh, budgeted for that as well. So anyway, we recognize the need for equity in access to education and healthcare and the critical need for new and culturally appropriate ways of ensuring a welfare of children who are at risk. And we enthusiastically enthusiastically support the call for teaching about the his history and legacy of Indian residential schools in all Canadian schools and commit ourselves to ensuring that the teaching ministries of our churches also acknowledge these realities. <clears throat> I've done a lot of reading and no water. Above all, we welcome the Commissioner's call to action as provided, providing the basis of a wide and transformation conversation among Canadians about the better future we intend to foster, not just for Indigenous people, but for all of us who live, who long to live in a society grounded in relationships and equity. We will continue to share in the work of healing, reconciliation, respectfully following the leadership of Indigenous communities and leaders, and to offer leadership among non-Indigenous Canadians where that's appropriate. Like, let's say, with Sutawin. May the... Creator, guide us as we continue to work in healing, justice, right relations for generations, as it will take to address the harm and guide this country on a new and different path, remembering the Children Prayer 2008. And the representatives of the church entities that made that joint statement were the Bishop of the Anglican Church, Fred uh, Giltz, Hiltz, Hiltz, I think. Dr. Reverend Stephen Ferris of the Presbyterian Church, Archbishop Gerard Pedipas of the Catholic Entity Parties of the Indian Residential School Settlement, uh, the Right Reverend Gary Patterson from the United Churches of Canada, and then the Jesuits of English Canada, Peter Bison. 
was the signers of all of that. So yeah, it was a really cool read. Um, really enjoyed that. And there were some parts of it that I really um, thought were important, especially the this one particular um, paragraph that said, we welcome the commissioner's call to the parties of the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement for a new covenant of reconciliation that would renew and expand our shared commitment to the continuing work of reconciliation and invite others into that work, including new Canadians who, while we're not part of the historic injustice, are now part of a country which understanding and addressing that injustice is a national priority for all Canadians. It's beautiful. I love it. I'm going to be copying and pasting that for sure. So, and again, back to the United Church of Canada. They have a beautiful section on reconciliation and Indigenous justice. They have uh, the apologies, the um, doctrine of discovery, prayer, action, community. They talk about the commission, UNDRIP, uh, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Justice and Reconciliation Fund, and then they have a video videos. They have another section on emotion and action, Indigenous circles. Oh, in support of the Winsuta win. What do we have here? <laughs> I've been complaining about that this whole podcast, haven't I? Letter to the Church from the Moderator and National Indigenous Elders Council. In late 2018, the conflict over the right, over who has the right to make decisions about energy pro, um, projects on traditional Indigenous territories reverberated across the country from the locus point of Wet'suwet'en Territory in northern British Columbia. A temporary resolution was reached in January 2019, but tensions have arisen again a year later with a new injunction against land defenders and the incursion of military police and arrests. This is of particular concern given the BC legislature's recent passage of Bill 41 to harmonize a provincial law with the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. Solidarity actions have once again broken out across the country. The ongoing situation on Wet'suwet'en territory reveals at many levels how settler society fails to understand and accept the Indigenous right to self-determination. It demonstrates an acceptance of an unbalanced power relationship and calls into question Canada's commitment to reconciliation with Indigenous people. The moderator and National Indigenous Elders Council have discerned together how the United Church should respond and offer this letter to the church. Oh my God, that's so beautiful. Oh, I'm going to be sharing that because that that's like, you can't talk about those uh, calls to action that are so clearly rooted in reconciliation, the rights of sovereignty, the rights of indigenous people, the declaration of rights of indigenous people. And then like, be like, yeah, but we're totally bringing in the RCMP to, uh, you know, take down the Wet'suwet'en in their own territory. It's you can't do that. So, anyway, I'm pretty pretty impressed with that information right there. So, hats off to you all. Uh, FacingHistory.org. I actually met a representative from that, but I I was running, and she was concerned at the time that because I was running, there would be a conflict of interest for me talking about this particular book. But it's such a great book, and I've wanted to brag about it, but I've always felt like there's a real um, conflict of interest just based off of what she said. But because I'm not running right now, I'm 
I'm not affiliated with any any of that um, you know party dynamic. Like I can plug this book of um, facinghistory.org. They have a wonderful website. I have their book. It's fabulous, and it talks about the stolen lives, the Indigenous people of Canada, and the Indian Residential School, and the apologies. And um, they have a French version. But it's basically a tutorial for teachers and for students to learn about Indian residential school so that that way we can learn about it in a good way and not have it with um, nonpartisan or have it with a nonpartisan lens. And, a, you know, um, if it's not coming from one particular uh, church, then it, it's not a leaning their way as well. Right. So so I, I really, really love it. They apparently have on the top of their their website, the resources you need for teaching about the COVID-19 outbreak. So, you know, I'm, I'm just not going to talk about that today. Um, the whole reason why we're having this live podcast and why we're live on Facebook is because of that. So this is where we're at. Um, but I really, really wanted to encourage it. It's called Facing History and Ourselves. Really great resource for professional development if you are a teacher. Um, I hope that that goes viral. I was hoping that she would get her way into Jason Kenney's world and make that Alberta curriculum as well, because um, it, it's just more positive. Uh, the Presbyterian Church in Canada, they have their own website, and they have this whole section on healing and reconciliation. And, um, you know, just talking about their role in adopting the Confession to God and to Indigenous people for their role in Indian residential school systems. The church is committed to walking with Indigenous people on a journey towards reconciliation and leave, living out the spirit of this confession. Um, the Healing and Reconciliation Program was established by the General Assembly in 2006 to assist the Presbyterian Church in Canada in restoring right relations with Indigenous people. The program provides resources to raise awareness among Presbyterians about the impact of colonialism on Indigenous people and support initiatives that build relationships between Indigenous and non-Indigenous people. Staff in the Justice Ministries and members of the he Healing and Reconciliation Advisory Committee work with Presbyterians at all levels of the church to foster leaders commitment committed to promoting reconciliation efforts in their congregations and in their communities. The church works with uh, partners in response to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 94 calls to action, including support for the implementation of the United Nations Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People. Oh my God, that makes, this just speaks to me. So they have a list of their calls to action and a list of how their church responds. They have acknowledging traditional territory. I literally have a whole um, presentation that I have to do because people just don't recognize this. And here they have it. Like here it is. The Presbyterian Church has like a guide on how to assist congregations and courts of the church to incorporate acknowledgement of traditional territories. And if you look right over, they have, um, you know, treaties in Canada from 1763 all the way to 2000. I can't really read it, 2005 or something. So that's pretty cool. So they have like a whole download, which I'll have to look at and incorporate into my teaching just to showcase that, you know, there are folks actually working towards reconciliation. And if you're not, then, you know, pie in your face. Uh, the blanket exercise they have written down. Uh, so there's a video about that to help people. And 
you know, obviously I would argue that you need a blanket exercise that's, um, you know, deterrent, like that, that has the education of the territory that you're in. So like here on Blackfoot territory, I would want to do a black blanket exercise that was led by Blackfoot that gave that information, so on and so forth. Uh, healing and reconciliation. Oh, they have an e-newsletter. I should sign up for that. I don't know. I think I get enough emails. <gasps> an open letter and special statement regarding Rusutuan territory. That makes me happy. Here we go. Open letter and special statement regarding what Sutuan territory. The Presbyterian Church in Canada is deeply concerned with events and news surrounding pipeline construction on Wet'suwet'en territory. Uh, rising tensions and militarization of the situation, including concerns that uh, use of force may be employed or those supporting Wet'suwet'en law arrested again, has led us to issue this statement calling for peace, respect, and dialogue. Additionally, we are very concerned that the RCMP has set up exclusion zones and is keeping food supplies and media from entering the area. Holy shit. This is great. Uh, such actions contradict the rights of self-determination and free and prior informed consent outlined in the Truth and Rec <coughs> Sorry, in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People and in uh, November of 2019. Darcy, can you please pass me your water? The province of BC passed legislation to harmonize its laws with UNDRIP. The government of Canada has indicated it intends to introduce legislation aimed at doing the same. The Presbyterian Church of Canada has also affirmed its support of UNDRIP and has recently, in response to Call to Action 46, uh, repugnant the doctrine of discovery. In line with that repugnant nation and our support of UNDRIP, we call upon all involved to respect Wet'suwet'en law. We also call on both the provincial and federal government to meet up with hereditary chiefs to resolve this issue in a peaceful manner through dialogue. Violence must not be an option in any response to these tensions. The governmental concerns of what Sutuan defenders are raising what would affect everyone in the area and be resolved through good faith dialogue. We pray for the safety and well-being of all the people in Wet'suwet'en territory and for peaceful uh, solutions to the situation by Reverend Amanda Curry, moderator of the 2019 General Assembly. Hats off to you, Presbyterian Church. Oh, God, that's beautiful. Why was that so hard for some of the other churches? I don't know. Well, and that makes me happy because for those who don't know, I'm a part of... Um, I care, which is a, a group of uh, interfaith people committed to against racism. They're committed against it. And this will be good for me to be sending to all of them, actually. So anyway, that's a lot of talking on my part. I was really hoping that we would have some folks call in or to uh, type on our on our comments here. But I, I actually didn't come across any of that. And, um, you know, we have 10 minutes left. This would be the time that I would probably... Um, you know, wrap up with a check-in with everyone and see how they're feeling. Um, if, even for me, I feel quite hopeful after reading through, especially some of the Wet'suwet'en um, calls to action after reading just these small, what, four um, calls to action that, that were directly related to 
you know, indigenous sovereignty rights and respecting um, our our rights through the United Nation Declaration of Rights of Indigenous People, and how that completely relates to colonization and the role of churches within Indian residential schools. So for those who were out there who made it through, or maybe if you're watching at a later time, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of this with us. Um, I know today today is a scary day. It's a Monday, and basically all of Canada has been shut down. And uh, as a result, this is our first time going on Podbean and a uh, first time doing a live Facebook that was like two hours long. So if you made it through any of this, thank you. And I'd love to get feedback from you. And uh, with that, I say farewell and hopefully, you know, stay updated with us and maybe we'll have some new um, developments within a month or maybe we won't. Maybe in a month we'll be back up here talking and going from there. So thank you to all who are listening. If you at all feel overwhelmed by what you were by what we talked about, you know, reach out to your local faith leaders, contact the distress center. But if you are First Nation, Métis or Inuit, contact the Hope for Wellness helpline. And there's also the hopeforwellness.ca where you can actually text with people if that's better for you. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, go smudge, be safe, be well. Thank you, Larry, for all of your hard work here. I see you say cheers. And I just want to say thank you for being a part of this. And hopefully we can make this work for in the future. So bye, everybody.